Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Over the past two seasons of fantasy football, Andrew Brayshaw has been a constant in the top tier of premium midfielders. He hasn't missed a game, while in AFL Fantasy, He's joint leading ton converter to games. Super coach, maybe not as high, but I can see this translating to crescendoing towards a 120 season in super coach and another 110 plus year in AFL fantasy. But it, will it be again business as usual for Andy Brayshaw in 2024? Has he got a little bit of a bump with the change in that midfield? Or will regression finally come his way? We're talking about Andrew Brayshaw on today's episode of the 50 Most Relevant. He's sitting at number five, which for some in the community see that as, MJ, that's a big, bold call to say he's one of the five most relevant players this year. Yeah, I'm happy to get behind it. At the end of the day, it's a subjective a subjective list for who I think is relevant. You're absolutely very much entitled to disagree. But joining me on this episode, as he has right throughout this preseason and over the past couple of years, he's a regular part of the coaches panel. He also sits alongside and works with the guys at Pod Pod. Louis, nice to see you. Andy Brayshaw, he's such a good guy to talk about as we get towards the end of this year's 50 Most Relevant. Yeah, firstly, thanks for having me, MJ. And uh, yeah, keen to talk about Andrew Brayshaw. He's a he's a young player who really sort of broke onto the scene um, from a fantasy perspective and an AFL perspective about three or four years ago. And uh, yeah, no surprise he sits here at number five today. He has been an absolute stalwart of a scorer, but also in terms of his availability across the format. So uh, yeah, I'm very keen to unpack this guy and why he may or may not be a good pick this season. If we take a quick look at the overarching perspective of what he did for us in 2023, he's coming in off a seasonal average of a 108.9 in Supercoach. 16 tonnes, a top score of 149, means he is priced at over $600,000 for us in that format. The top score of 149, it's like nothing compared to a career high, 190. So, yeah, you don't think Andy Brayshaw's got some ceiling? You need to go back over the past three years to see that this Fremantle midfielder can absolutely go in Supercoach. While over in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, he's just a touch over a million dollars in Dream Team and literally... $4,000 shy of it in AFL fantasy. It's off the back of going at 110.3 last year. 18 tons in what many would say was a down season. I'll take a down year of a 110 average and that many tons, tons and games played. Like, my goodness me, I will take that every day of the week. 157, top score of the year. A 181 was a career high. And Louis, all you need to do is go back and just watch a couple of games of Fremantle last year and sort of the back half of the year and pretty much anything in 2022 and 2021. And there is one key component that unlocks Andrew Brayshaw's scoring. And that is 
work rate. He wills himself to wherever the ball is. He'll push himself into the contest when needed and win that contested footy. And if he's not going to win the footy, he's first to wrap those tackles up. He's quick to get into space. He's not an explosive speed, but he's quick to read the play, get himself to be that first received player by Mark or by Hamble, and then set up this Fremantle assault of pushing the ball forward. Smart footballer, smart at how he uses his work rate. And one of the things I love about the way he builds his score, Louis, is he just can go from being at 10, 15 points at quarter time. But because he scores in all the columns of contested, uncontested, marks, tackles, even gets involved in score involvements and impact scoreboards, in a five-minute period, he can stock up 30 points without even breaking a sweat. Yeah, you're exactly right, MJ. And work rate is just uh, pretty much the perfect way to put it. He's one of the fittest guys in the AFL. And look, you'd certainly hope so with those hundred hundreds that he does every single Christmas day with his brothers. And uh, it comes to fruition, mate, doesn't it? When you when you see Fremantle play, he is constantly that player who's not only around the football to begin with, uh, he's also the one that's pushing over to the next contest, out for that outlet kick and uh, it translates to fantasy scoring. And it, it really is an understated point how fitness can really help you build and tick over a score continually throughout a game. Uh, other players, they start to tire. Perhaps the game gets a little bit open or tight and he's one that can just keep on ticking along and getting it done. And um, I feel like every time I come on this podcast, MJ, we talk about these players that can fill stat lines, but uh, why wouldn't you? Like he, he is almost the the perfect fantasy player. He he spreads for those marks, but he's inside tackling as well, providing that extra grunt in the midfield. He he's got a nice kick to handball ratio because he's great by foot as well. And uh, being a young leader of that side, uh, only twenty four years old, I, I'm really predicting that this is going to be something that we see for for years to come. And to this point in his career, it's been something that we've seen. Uh, over a large period of time already, despite his young age. So, you know, you, you mentioned all that and you look at some of his previous averages. Uh, he, he's gone at 104, 112, and then 110 in the last three seasons. So I'm not sure there's many players out there that can average that 109 across three seasons. And uh, it's just a lot of boxes to tick here, MJ. He's gone four consecutive seasons in Supercoach. You're talking about those AFL fantasy stat lines. Four consecutive years of 100-plus in Supercoach and has already given us a 111 prior to what he did last year, which, as I mentioned, was deemed a down year in the community. There was one core reason for it, and that is he entered into and struggled through the preseason with a little bit of a knee concern. He actually had a quad muscle issue over his kneecap. I don't even know how that happens, but I'm told it can happen and that was causing him some great discomfort and it was really only round eight onwards that he stated publicly it's probably round seven personally when he felt it but round eight publicly in may that he said i finally feel like i've got strength and confidence and pain eliminated from my body and that's important for a guy 
that work rate is the key that unlocks his scoring chain. It's not just a contested ball winner. He's not just an uncontested style player. He's a both and. And so when you're feeling that pain point through your legs and through your joints and through your knees that creates that ability to get from stoppage to work rate moment to stoppage into uncontested spaces, of course that's going to have an impact. And we saw that in his scoring. Even though he averaged last year for us a 110 in AFL fantasy, six scores over 120 and 18 tons. It was way below what he'd done over previous seasons. Just in that first seven games in AFL fantasy, he goes at an average of 102.5 with four scores under 100. Yeah, even under significant physical duress, he's still averaging triple figures in AFL fantasy while in super coach, a bit more of a toll. 91 average in those first seven games and just two scores over 100. However, from that point that he says publicly, I am pain-free. This is what he does in the final 16 games. A 113 average in AFL fantasy. So a three to four points per game bump, which you go, that's not much. That's up at the upper echelon already at 110. So he's got that next gear. So if you're looking for a little bit of upside on price point, there's where you're looking for it. While he goes at an even better 116.7 in Supercoach, nothing under 90 from round six in AFL Fantasy. So you're looking at upside and you mentioned that historical scoring that's gone for us is before we even turn to 2024, there's some dynamics we've got to unpack. If you're talking about a player that you go, have they got captaincy and ceiling potential? Yes, across the formats. Have they got multiple seasons where they've shown they've got 100 plus? The answer is yes. But have they reached their scoring pinnacle? I don't think anyone with any confidence is going, this is as good as we're going to get of Andrew Brasher. I think everybody knows that work rate, when it's fully unlocked, he's got the capacity to be the top scoring player across all the formats as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, big time, mate. And captain option is exactly what you're picking for, picking him for at 110. And I know we do like to focus on the ceiling of players. And of course we do. If you can pop a 140 and have it doubled, then, you know, it's happy days and you're on your way. But I also like to look at the floor too. And uh, because it's not easy to always pick a captain and sometimes you do miss, but you know, that 72 in 2023 was his lowest score. And that came in the first five rounds when we knew he was dealing with some injuries. And then 90 was his next worst in that six-week period as well. So, and just on that too, 72 was actually his lowest since 2021 when he first broke out. So to have that reliability in a guy at 110 to to constantly tick over and not only be able to give you that average score, but to be a captain option as well, uh, is so valuable, and we touched on it big time at the start of the at the start of the show. Um, he just does it all. I'm I'm looking at his transition and stoppage points here, and that's courtesy of uh, Jaden Papowski on Twitter. Does some absolutely fantastic things, and definitely the uh, the rising star of the preseason. Uh, just does it all. But I look at his transition points here. He's 55.9, seriously impressive, uh, and then the stoppage points at 58.2. So. Uh, it doesn't matter where he is on the on the ground. It's probably a little bit like how we spoke about Rosie uh, a couple of weeks or a couple of days ago, rather, that he's able to find ways to score regardless of where he is on the ground. And uh, being such a stalwart of that Fremantle side uh, and such a 
reliable player. This is why he gets it done constantly because the coaches are happy to rely on him. And I'm not sure if I mentioned at the top of the show too, his durability, 104 out of a possible 106 games, even despite that uh, injury-affected start, just goes to show that uh, he's someone that we can really consider in our starting squads to not only score strongly, but to, to be there for a whole season, which is what you want at the price point. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I want to take the conversation specifically to AFL fantasy for a moment. That's one. That's certainly the preference of choice of format for you in terms of play but I also think from a super coach perspective given the the volume of trades we now have right up to 40 where about a decade ago that's now double to what we had to navigate the game and the way we play it is now evolving where the risk profile of being able to increase our team value by not having to pay for as many at the top end and is kind of a little bit more accessible to it. It's always been a trading game. The, the formats have always been won based on the moves you make, but it, there is the mindset now, and I, I don't disagree that it's a wrong mindset, is that you don't have to access these guys at the upper echelons of price because you're looking to increase your total team value in as many spots as you can. And so we do see in AFL fantasy guys that are up and near that million-dollar price tag, even sometimes just over $900,000, people are really averse to starting if they don't feel like there's an upside. So talk to me about that ideology because I I think it's right. I also think there's some assumptions that might not always hold true to that don't get discussed enough, which we'll get to, but talk to me about that. Like you see a guy that's nearly a million dollars in AFL fantasy. Again, there's parallels for super coach here. What is it you need to be able to justify to select Andrew Brayshaw or a player like him, given he might not present much value based on his price point to the scoring trend he's done previously and the scoring projection of what he's going to do moving forward? Yeah, there's definitely a strong mindset across the community. And I tend to agree with it as well that, you know, 20, 25, 30 points upside is where you want to be because. In that case, you are getting the scoring and you're also getting that cash ticking over. Uh, but someone like an Andrew Brayshaw, who you're picking at 110, uh, you, you're sort of already banking on that keeper straight away. Whereas some of these other guys, it's more you're just looking at that upside and to jump off. Because if you're starting a player, then it doesn't necessarily matter what they what their upside is if you're planning on keeping them of course you know you're going to add your team value and you know you're going to be able to pick somebody else in your team instead which you know can generate more points but i think we do sort of overlook uh where the upside can come from what some of these 110 guys so if you can find someone who's got you know three four five points upside in this bracket constantly putting a captain option his way as well then I think that goes a long way to sort of having, like I mentioned with Andrew Brayshaw, this reliability in your in your squad, this sort of pillar of strength where you can constantly sort of go back to that. So uh, it, 
Andrew Brayshaw is one that is really sort of taking advantage of the current game style at Fremantle. They're, they're a team that are probably a little bit old school in terms of just a couple of years ago when we were seeing more possession, more disposal. And the, the ledger seems to have swung where, you know, teams are playing fast, gun, you know, go, go, go. Uh, but you look at Fremantle, the, Justin Longmuir came from Collingwood, which was notoriously one of those sides that was uh, – that was sharing the ball around. He's sort of um, instigated that at Fremantle as well. And you you look at some of the team stats, it's actually no surprise where Andrew Brayshaw is finding this ceiling and this high floor. So you know, uh, uncontested play, uh, ranking top five, uh, top four for metres gained per disposal. So um, they're, they're clearly chipping it around a lot more. Uh, bottom three for, for metres gained. So... They're clearly playing a game where they want to share the ball around. They want to cut through uh, opposition defences. And as fantasy coaches, we love that because that translates to a kick mark game where you can constantly see these scores ticking over. So that's where we might be able to see a little bit of upside in a guy like this. And 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 a lot of the other 110 guys too. Like if you can identify team changes first, that's often where it comes from. It's not just you know, a player getting better again because, you know, we've seen before that a player can have a better season from an AFL perspective, but uh, average less in a fantasy perspective. There's a lot of examples of that. So um, that that's sort of where I like to look for my upside in these guys priced at 110 and uh, that sort of three to five points upside, even though it seems minuscule, is there's a lot that goes into that. So identifying it is crucial. And it does mean if he does hold that in AFL fantasy, again, I think in Supercoach, there's a greater pathway where that 116 he did over the final 16 games of last year, in contrast to that 108, 109 he's priced at. Well, now that takes him from ranked 15th mid overall, which he was last year by average, all of a sudden that ascends him to the top 10. And to me, that's enough, let alone we'll talk buys and structures in a moment. But to me, in Supercoach, like that's enough. If you can get up to 115, you're home. And, and in Dream Team and Fantasy, one of the interesting things, I really would love to let you, because I don't, I haven't heard this conversation yet. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe because I'm not listening to enough different content that's out there. The beautiful thing is there's so much great content out at the moment. It is hard to consume at all. But 12 months ago, we were gifted some of the best breakout options or positional options that meant we could pay up. And we were getting almost every week, seven or eight guys we could throw the captaincy or vice captaincy on. And they all came in with value. I know it's perspective, but Taranto, we knew was going to push that 105, 110 marker. If he was a pure mid, he got that and was really one of the safest vice captaincy, captaincy options early. We had a little bit of baked in value with a Connor Rosie because we saw for half of 2022 what he'd score in that midfield role. So we knew we'd get that. Canelio was another. We knew that he'd had a year where he really had some role diversity. So we knew we were getting ourselves a little bit of value. Then you had through the midfield, Caleb Sarong and Tom Green, who were bursting down the door and it just was a matter of time that were captaincy option guys for us and a Nick Dacos. I think he surprised us all that he ascended to the moon as quickly. We knew he'd one day become one of the top fantasy performers across the formats, but he got so big for us. Did we just get lucky? Maybe that's the way to ask it. That these value guys that were all 90-ish sort of price points that we got luxury year 
where we had seven or eight that we could put the VC on, but we actually might not see that this year. Cause I don't see that same volume of luxury of all these 90 guys that'll go one Oh five. Do we need the Brayshaw types to be able to help us with our value? Is that just a wrong lens of looking at 2023 or is that potentially something there? Well, you're spot on about 2023. We were certainly gifted um, a lot of players that were pretty bankable um, from not only just selecting in your side, but from a VC captain sense. Probably translates a little bit to the rookies as well, where this last couple of years, these kids, they come in and they're just they're just already ready. And we saw last year probably the the number one guy in, in Harry Sheasel was just an absolute gun um, every single every single year. Uh I think you can look at it both ways, MJ. Like uh, this season especially is going to be quite different to how we've played it in previous years. So I think we've touched on enough that this guy is a pretty reliable scorer, right? But And and we all love having a 110 guy that we can sort of pin our hat on. But um, I think from a captain perspective, it may be a little bit different this season in that we do have four buyers across those first six rounds. So... We have this ability where we can have two bites at the cherry nearly every single week. And uh, it's probably something we haven't had in the last couple of years, unless you, you know, you're purposely running a red dot and the, the rookie R4 that just wouldn't get on the park was, you know, quite often that guy. Um, but in a, yeah, in a season where there's all this opportunity to find top scorers, but not only that, also get these rookies onto your field that can pop one, um, certainly through these buy rounds. I'm, I'm not sure it carries as much of a weight this season, but um, yeah, it's it's one of those things, mate. There's a million ways to skin a cat and uh, I don't think there's any way I'd convince anybody out of Andrew Brayshaw, but at the same time, if that was more your thinking that, oh, you know, I want to take a punt on, on a Jack Steele who plays, you know, quite a few early games early and has that ceiling that I've seen. Uh, Brody Grundy, I'm backing him to, you know, go back to his 105 ways. Max Gorn is, a, is another one that's been um, floated around quite a lot. And we know what he's capable of when he's the sole ruck. So, yeah, that's probably where I sit on that one, mate. Yeah, it makes sense. That Fremantle side undertook a big dynamic change towards the end of last year. Hayden Young comes into the midfield for the final five games and Nat Fife will roll into this midfield. He's not breaking the top three. I'm really bullish. I know Mini Monk is, you know, big on the jungle drums, not just as our Fremantle representative on the coaches panel, but big time watching going Young, Brayshaw, Sarong. That is their centerpiece three of this inside midfield and Fife will play... fourth fiddle at best and probably sit somewhere around that 50-50 split. So how did Andy Brayshaw score in those five games where Young, Sarong and Brayshaw were, were the centrepiece three? Great question. He goes at 116 in AFL Fantasy and 122 in Supercoach and nothing under 100. Why? There's a couple of reasons why, but one, Sarong is now the number one guy in that midfield. If there's a tag coming to anyone, it's coming to Caleb Sarong, not to Andrew Brayshaw, which we did see in 2021 and 2022, which did limit his ceiling. It means Hayden Young, he's coming in there. I I got a great contrast from pig mentality. We did the episode on Hayden just the other day where I said he could be like Jordan Dawson. 
pig mentality was even better. He's like, he's not just a Jordan Dawson. It's a Callum Mills when he moved into the midfield. It's the defensive-minded ability when needed and can be offensively attacking, do the both. And he's going to be in there to do the shutdown roles and add some presence, some skill, and some physicality. So what's Andrew Brayshaw? He's the best of both worlds. He can win it on the inside and he gets involved on the outside. So we could see some more moments, Louis, where he might have previously had to be that first touch clearance winner. He might now be able to be the first receive option, which is really important for a couple of key components, whether that be marks, score involvements, and a bunch of different score chain elements. So to me, I think that's only a positive thing. Do you think Young and or Fife coming in is a negative thing for Andrew Brayshaw? It's it's an interesting question, MJ, and it's going to be something that over the first couple of rounds, we're definitely going to learn pretty quickly how that affects him. I do sort of subscribe to that fact that, yes, the wrong's your first touch clearance guy that um, gets gets in, gets the ball. If Hayden Young is regularly tagging, then that's just another head down on the opposition team that... Uh, isn't impacting the contest perhaps as much, which can let Brayshaw sort of apply his trade uh, and do all the things that we love. On the contrary, uh, do we could we see some tackles perhaps you know falling the other way? So maybe he doesn't need to be that pressure player. Uh, I mean, you can look at it both ways. That means more marks potentially, but. I sort of tend to think that tackle number's going to go down a little bit because he doesn't need to be that player. Uh, Nat Fife is probably the other one that that does concern me a little bit there. Going back to our stoppage points, which we mentioned earlier, uh, Nat Fife was only 18.2. And look, that's reflective of how much footy he played and the role that he played. But from everything we're hearing this preseason, Nat Fife will be in that midfield. And he's a little bit of a bull out the gates too. And uh, we mentioned teams wanting to get a little bit quicker. It's certainly the trend. Do we start to see a bit more of a Nat Fife, Sarong uh, and Hayden Young type midfield. I'm not saying Brayshaw is going to be ousted, although I think out of that lot, he probably is the better outside player on, on like a wing half, high half forward type role. But uh, I, I do have a few little concerns that, okay, maybe Nat Fife, Sarong are your first touch players that are going to be you know, bursting out of stoppage and maybe just uh, skipping that extra kick uh, and not going as sort of um, lateral and a little bit more linear down the ground. One of the big attractions to Andrew Brayshaw is back-to-back seasons of 110 in AFL fantasy. And politely, you take that injury-impacted stretch of seven games where he has managed... And even then, you roll that up. He's basically a 110 guy for the past two years in Supercoach as well. So let's call him what he is, a 110 guy that you're basically paying for a 110. But where's the upside outside of him increasing his scoring avenue, which, as you mentioned, there's a pathway where it can happen. There is also a pathway where regression of a handful of points can come. I think what's tipping people over towards him is he, alongside the rest of his Fremantle teammates and Port Adelaide, have that round 13 buy, which is so critical for us. It's the easiest buy for us to navigate of both buy blocks that we've got, meaning in that middle block of the year where teams have up to six teams off, He's going to be able to help you through and is a vice-captaincy captain option every single week, let alone those first four blocks of buys we have inside the opening six rounds. So that kind of levels it out for some people where they go, 
yeah, he might not improve his scoring. He might be about 30,000, 40,000 cheaper in Supercoach. He might be 70 or 80,000 cheaper in AFL Fantasy, but I've got a guy who on any week can pop a 150. On all those important bye weeks where it's best 18 and ceiling is rewarded and cows are falling off my score, I've got a premium that's always available for me that I don't have to look at the fixtures. I know most weeks he won't get tagged. In fact, he's not getting tagged. He's got the good role. He's got a good mix. And I just feel I put all those elements together and I just go, you know what? I can take a loss of 30K. I can take a loss of 40K knowing I'm walking into the season with a 110 guy that could be a captain and he's going to get me through those challenging bye weeks. It goes back to that uh, sort of pillar that we mentioned before, doesn't it? This guy that we can we can rely on every single week. And uh, we do like to focus on the upside, certainly as fantasy coaches in terms of scoring and uh, cash generation. But sometimes with these guys priced at 110, it's about... The one with the least downside. So who, who, you know, who's the one that you can convince yourself that okay, if I'm going to pay this price tag, like I might lose some value on my team. I might lose a handful of points. You know, as we said before, three to five points potentially. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But Brayshaw really feels like one of those guys where you can sort of build that case around, okay, well, he's young, uh, he's done it for a long time, he's gone 109 across three years, he's now no longer the tag target, so there's some potential upside there as well, and yeah, he's, he's just he's just a fantastic player, mate, and he's going to be one that's probably going to rank high in this uh, 50 most relevant every single season for that reason. So... What's your guiding driver? That probably becomes the first pathway into deciding whether Brayshaw is a starting squad option for you or is it not? Do you believe you need to hold value on every single selection you have in your 30 players? Is that your overarching guiding principle? If it is, there is a pathway where you look at Brayshaw, but just looking at his price point versus the previous two seasons, it probably means you're not looking at him as the financial asset alone. But if it's now the buys and how you navigate through these and looking for ceiling players that are available in every single one of them and maximizing scoring and not losing significant or much price point, if these become a guiding light and principle for you, well, now Brayshaw becomes a more important option for you. We all have different things that move and motivate us. Equally, we both have and all have different risk appetites. Some, we, we need to trade aggressive to win. Just guaranteeing that out there for you. If you want to win your format, you've got to be aggressive with your trading. But for some, that aggressiveness means they have a couple of anchors like a Brayshaw. People picked Doherty last year because they wanted an anchor in that back line. Can you use that same mindset and ideology 
with a Brayshaw. Now, there's some flaw in it because you were hoping Docker to be clear and supreme and he wasn't. And if Brayshaw is not clear and supreme as the number one, it might not work for you. But again, does the buyers move you? Is it the price point that moves you? Do you feel like you're going to approach the buyers with, I'm looking for ceiling and maximization and I don't care about the cow? Or are you like, no, nah, I'm still generating value. Even if I don't score more, I'm trying to maximize value on every single player. And when I get to my upgrade cadences of around seven, eight, nine, I'm absolutely firing. To me, I, I don't see a world where he drops under 110 in AFL fantasy. I, I'm quite bullish that he can push a 115 seasonal average in Supercoach. And I think the buys might just tip people over the line or the lack of perceived value. Those to me feel like the two tipping points and whichever you elevate higher probably rules you in or out of starting him or considering him as an early upgrade option. Yeah, no, you're all points totally correct there, MJ. It's it's definitely going to be up to the coach, as it always is, but uh, it depends what you value here. I, I think there's both, there's merit for both um, scenarios, but uh, yeah, I sort of tend to believe that he is going to be at least 110, and I think maybe not as bullish at 115, but maybe about that 112 range that we saw uh, back in 2022. Uh, and that's just from some caginess over that midfield changing a little bit in the in the engine room. And look, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Obviously, Fremantle did dip a little bit last season can, uh, compared to what they did in 2022. But then, you, you know, you go back to who was there. There was Mundy there. There was Brody in there. And Brayshaw was still able to go at that 112 rate. So, yeah, he, he's a guy that's really hard to poke holes in. I think it's... Uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be a good pick either way you go. It's just about really solidifying the reasons that you're picking him. Yeah, it's a fair shout. Let's look at him on draft day. You mentioned that durability over the past three or four seasons that he does not miss much games of football. That availability is incredibly helpful for us. And if you're playing through all of the buy rounds, again, this and something we spoke with Stevie Fizz when we did the episode on Sam Flanders, he talked about this strategy of, Normally it might not matter, but if you are playing through both blocks of buys, if Brayshaw helps you through all, you might just move up a spot or two or three in your ranking or the way you tier out your midfielders if he's going to be there and available for you. In an AFL fantasy draft, I've got a super coach thought in a moment, but in an AFL fantasy draft, look, he's a clear M1. Um, I don't see him dropping out of that, but is he a first round pick? That's the question I want to know. Yeah, I think he is, MJ, just because uh, there doesn't seem to be those upper echelon uh, defenders that people are as, as confident in as well as those forwards. Like we had some, uh, like you mentioned, Tim Taranto, uh, Connor Rosie, some of these guys were like really quite, coaches were quite bullish on them and they weren't round one picks. But I think because we've got that lack of that this year, that that 110 guy that you can get into your midfield is just going to have a little bit more of a premium this year. Whereas you can take a few more risks, a few more punts, and maybe, you know, just wait a little bit uh, on your other positions. So for me, I, I really struggle to see somebody like Andrew Brayshaw sliding from the first round at all. I think he'll be one of, uh, one of many coaches first picks really. And if he does, it'll be very, very early in the second. And it'll be because people are gobbling up all those early premium rucks and, and probably one or two of those defenders. And that might slide him out very, very early. But yeah, if uh, you're thinking he might slide to you late in the second round, 
I would love to be in that draft league. That's all I'll say in AFL fantasy. While in super coach, positionally, he's going to sit as an M2 based off seasonal average. And I think that's probably his ADP spot. I think he'll probably go late second round, early third. But I wouldn't be opposed to him being my M1 in a super coach league, especially if it meant I was locking away an English or a Gorn or a Dacos type and was able to get him on the turn in the second round and he's the best available mid. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really, really happy with that. But I do think an M2 spot is most likely to be the spot we see him sitting in there. Hey, Louis, it's been a pleasure yet again, not just on this episode, but right throughout the preseason, having you on the coaches panel and talking about these players in the 50 most relevant. Thanks, mate. And uh, this will probably be my last appearance on it for this year. So I'll just say, mate, fantastic job. Yeah. Absolutely one of the best uh, fantasy producers in general, but certainly for all those coaches that are just frothing at the mouth for a bit of early preseason content. And uh, the the mountain of work that you do uh, just around the clock is unbelievable. So uh, thanks for having me on, but also thanks for, for this wonderful um, series that you do every single year, mate. It's, uh, it's not going under, unappreciated, that's for sure. Nah, thank you so much for that. If you are enjoying this series, one, thank you. We, we do the 50 most relevant. It's not just me here at the coaches panel that does it. It's every single person that it's part of the panel gets involved, not just on these podcasts, but helping with the research, with road testing the orders and challenging and poking and prodding. So it's certainly far from a one-man band. But if you have been enjoying this series so far, make sure if you haven't already, jump over to wherever you listen to this podcast or any other podcast. We are there. Just simply go and search for us, subscribe, Subscribe and give a five-star rating. If you've enjoyed any of these episodes, we greatly appreciate it. If you're on Apple Podcasts, it also gives you the opportunity to give a review in there. We'd love to hear what you've been thinking about the 50 most relevant in 2024. While we're also been putting these episodes up on YouTube where you can watch them at your leisure, we have done the most amount of video content in the preseason that you can get across the community. So jump on in over there, subscribe and turn those notifications on. Help us get to our first step goal of a thousand subscribers by the end of the 50 most relevant we might just fall a little bit shy of that but you know what given we didn't even have a youtube channel really at the start of the preseason, we'll take it so thank you if you've subscribed and if you haven't we'd still love you to do that all the ways you can get in touch with the coaches panel on social media as well as become part of our patreon supporter group where you can get additional bonus content you can find that in the description of this episode so just four players left to go in the 50 most relevant. There's one player left that is what many think is going to be the number one defender. There's someone that I think many think is an undeniable ruck value. There's another that is a out-and-out out fantasy football jet and has nearly been that for the better part of a decade across multiple positions. And there's another who's a young gun who had his wings clipped a bit last year, but we saw enough towards the back of the season to suggest that maybe that he's about to skyrocket to the moon. So which of those four do you think I find the least relevant? They're all pretty damn relevant. They're in the top five, for goodness sake. But who do I say might not be as relevant as the other? This isn't a random assortment of names put together. These are ranked in an order. So who do I think is sitting at number four most relevant? You'll find out tomorrow.